Always so much fun to uh, be back in Willow. Um, my family moved here in the mid-70s, and uh, so I went to the elementary school next door, and that was about, we grew up, I grew up in Hatcher Pass, past North Star Bible Camp on an old homestead up there, and um, remember the days when Ross and Lois, they moved here about that time too into Willow, and lots of memories. Uh, I was thinking back, I remember some of the things I got to serve uh, in the church was when we had the huge snow loads, uh, shoveling the snow off the roof. As a nine, ten, I think I was 10 years old then, you know, that was back before there was laws against endangering your children. And uh, actually, when we first moved here, it was three miles to the pavement on Hatcher's Pass. And uh, in the spring, when it broke up, the road was so bad, we would have to walk the three miles to get picked up by the bus and walk back. So I tell, I tell my kids, hey, it's really true I did walk three miles, not uphill both ways, but through mud both ways just to get to school. And uh, man, the little, at least I was in fourth grade, then the little kindergartners, man, we would be picking them up, dragging them back. They could barely make it back uh, every day. But I remember those, remember the overhead projectors? So I remember when we were in the A-frame back there and us kids would sit up in the tall little A-frame and Tim Sandstrom was older and he would torture us younger ones and we, you know, and he'd tell us, if you squeal or scream, you're really going to get hurt later. And, uh, and I remember back then, we just had the little uh, floppy, it was like a floppy uh, hymn, like a hymn and, and chorus little book. And then we had the hymnals. And then the day came where we got those overhead projectors, man. That was so cool with those vinyl overheads. Remember those years? And, uh, and uh, as kids, that you got to serve in the church that way. And so it was, you know, you were trying to do such a good job with moving those words up on the screen. So people could see and sing, and so, so many memories. Even when I was a young adult after finishing Bible college, I'll always remember I was, the church faced this way at that time, and I was back in about this area. The church was like, God had really done a revival at that time. There was about probably 160, 170 people trying to pack into this building, kids downstairs, and it was just crazy. It was designed differently, and I remember the Lord was moving. It was a time of prayer, and I was on my knees praying, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm bringing her into your life. And four days later, I met Lorraine for the first time. And six months later, we were married. So it's amazing what God can do. And this has been a place, you know, we sang about that, that this is a place where the Spirit of God is and we want Him to come and meet us because there's nothing greater than encountering the manifest presence of Jesus and His glory and His goodness. And love the pictures of the ice fishing trip that Jonathan, you, and the men set up here. That's so awesome. Uh, Wish I could have, I should have, I should have brought some pictures of a uh, 20-inch uh, rainbow that my grandson caught on Lake Lucille the other day. And so we went up that last weekend to go up to Talkeetna to a small lake up there, Sunshine Lake, where I fished before. There's some big rainbows in there, and we've caught some monsters out of there. But man, the fi- we went there last Sunday, and it was just terrible fishing. I don't know what was going on. There was overflow on that lake, and you know, we're, tr- we're doing every trick my son-in-law and I know for ice fishing, and just hardly nothing. Finally, that Monday afternoon, we just decided, man, we've given it the you know, best try we can. We're going back. We'll fish uh, Lake Lucille and go back home. And that, that, after that evening, my phone starts blowing up Monday night. Hey, are you watching the Buffalo Bills game? Well, we don't have TV streamed into the house there, uh, the apartment that we stay at with my daughter and son-in-law. And, uh, but I had to go online and I checked what was going on. And and it was a game of the Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bengals. Anybody watch football at all or football fans? And maybe some of you know what happened. Um, and so this player for Buffalo, their safety, uh, DeMar Hamlin, was going to tackle this wide receiver for the Bengals, T. Higgins, and he tackles them. And DeMar, and they kind of hit in a weird way. And DeMar gets up and he just stumbles and collapses. And Right away, uh, you realize something is really wrong. If you were watching it live and the medical team comes out and he had a heart attack and he had no pulse and they had to resuscitate him, did CPR for a long time. They take him to the emergency room and the, never been anything like this ever in the NFL. People were so distraught. There's been terrible injuries, but so distraught that the players decided they just couldn't play the game and the coaches decided and they canceled the game and the team, uh, such a beautiful photo, uh, you can see it online of the, and watch the video of the Buffalo Bills players kneeling and praying to, to God for a miracle for DeMar and then even one of the ESPN analysts of all things on ESPN, he just says, I don't even know if I should be doing this but I just wanna do this and I'm just gonna pray and I'm gonna pray out loud 
And right there on live TV, he prays. And man, his uh, people tweeted on that, like his Twitter feed just blew up with people saying that was so amazing and thank you. And yes, we're praying. And, and so not only is our church doing a 21-day prayer of uh, uh, or focus of prayer and fasting, and many churches are doing that, but it's amazing, Lois, what I see happening even this month in the United States. There's uh, this ripple effect going out into our nation of maybe even some of those people don't even really believe in God, and yet they're saying, I'm offering up a prayer. And some of them maybe hadn't prayed for a long time or been moved to, but uh, the beautiful thing is that in a, in a time where the experts said it's, it's going to take a miracle for him to live, and after a few days, he, stayed, he came back too, and signs were improving, and uh, he was able to communicate. They took the breathing tube out. He actually did a, a, a video feed in with the Buffalo Bills team. I think it was like on Thursday, and, and then I think yesterday, he, on Saturday, he was already on Twitter sending things out, so humbled by what had happened. When he was first able to communicate with the doctors, his first thing was, did we win the game? And the doctor told him, yeah, you won. You won the game of life. And what a beautiful story. And I know some Christians are like all upset. Oh, yeah, now they all want to pray. And I'm like, man, yeah, why would you be upset about that? That's the best thing in the world because there is power in prayer. And one of the, one of the greatest tragedies that I see when I travel, because my role now is I over, I'm the president of Amazon Outreach. And so I'm one to help oversee the work in the Amazon jungle. We have a great team of national people, indigenous people from tribes that do the actual work. And I go there to encourage, support them to help raise finance and resource for the projects because we work uh, almost everywhere we work is some of the most impoverished areas of the, of the Amazon. And, um, and we want to lift people up. And how many know the gospel lifts people up? But when I travel to churches in the lower 48 and even through Alaska, you know, I, people will come and they'll ask this question. They'll say, is God doing anything out there? Is anything really happening today in the jungle? Is there anything going on that's miraculous? And, and, and I just, man, my heart just aches. <laughs> it aches when I, when I hear that because it shows me that there is this mentality of an impoverishing mindset that, that God, is he even doing anything out there? It shows me that they're not experiencing uh, the goodness of God and, and, and the gospel that we believe to even say something like that. It's such a terrible mindset to have. It's such a tragedy. They have no clue about living in the presence of God and from the presence of God to advance God's kingdom. I was in Dece early December. We hold our annual year, our year-end pastors and leaders conference, and this year we were able to bring in 550 of our pastors, leaders, evangelists, apostles, their wives, and into Iquito City. Some, uh, some walked over three days and then a day boat ride to get to Iquito. Some and when they do that, then I fly them back in a charter plane back to where they're from. I make the deal. If you guys walk out, then I'll find a way to raise the money to fly you back to the nearest outpost to where you live. And they still got another day of boat ride from there. But, and then some seven days by boat to get. So it's a big commitment. And, and they came. And, and so we have like a four-day. We kick it off Monday night. And we go through a Thursday night. And the last night is wild. It's just total a dancing worship praise time to Jesus. And uh, and so I kicked off, and I had a great group of preachers to preach and teach and uh, to unpack the scriptures, and our theme was Elijah and Elisha and being voices of promise and power. And so the first night at the end of the service, as I did the introduction for the whole series, I felt to have a time where we would pray for healings and miracles. And so just did, we had the people come up and did a, a kind of a long general prayer going through all the things I could think of, infirmity, sickness. And then we had time to lay hands on people. One of the individuals that came up is one of our apostles, Marcos Londonio. And I didn't know what had happened. I wasn't in the, our Peruvian organizational business meeting in the morning uh, that they have where they have their meetings and they talk and they discuss things and give reports and what's happening. And because I meet with the evangelists at the end of the conference and hear all the reports. And so Marcos was there and I didn't know that he had had a stroke a week before that Monday. And his part of his face was paralyzed and he couldn't speak. And his wife didn't want him to come to the, to the conference, but he's like, he, he wanted to come. So he came and so when it came time for his report, he had to motion, you know, and write, I can't speak, you know. 
And so that night he comes up and I saw him, there were tears coming down his eyes and his hands lifted up and myself and one of the other uh, brothers went over and we laid hands and prayed on him and he just started singing praise to God and was just going crazy. And so after a while, after we prayed for people, I just said, hey, I know that God heals in many different ways and I believe some of you were healed on the spot, you know, right as uh, prayer was happening. If anybody knows that you know that you were healed, pain is gone, your knees working, anything, let's, let's hear the testimony. About half a dozen people had something right on the spot, and he was one of them, and he shared the story. And I want to tell you, we serve a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is a healer, and he comes, and he still does miracles today. And I love this focus on prayer and fasting. First Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, I'm kicking off a three-week series on this character Jabez and the prayer that he gives, and I've been given a pretty narrow assignment, but because I open it up, I do get to dabble a little bit and set up the preachers for the next few weeks. It's always, it's always a bummer being the last guy in a series, especially when there's only two verses, because you're like, did you leave me anything? Did you leave me anything? That's you. Josh is going to be like, oh, Jabez, and now if you want to know the secret of Jabez, turn to Joshua. We'll talk about this. So Chronicles 4, 9, and 10, there was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures that we have that we can understand and the blessing of this church family and uh, just the sense of unity here today and, and the beautiful, your beautiful glory and presence as we worshiped you. And I thank you for all these young children in this place and the teenagers that are growing in grace and in such a healthy environment. And God, I just, I'm just so appreciative of what you are doing. And so come do what you always love to do and what you do best, and that's to release your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. The prayer of Jabez, what a powerful prayer. And how many know that there is power in prayer? John Knox prayed and it caused Queen Mary, to, it caused her to say, the results of that caused her to say that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than the armies of Scotland. John Wesley prayed and revival came to England and it, the revival really spared England, the horrors of the French Revolution and all that was happening just to the south. Jonathan Edwards prayed in the early days of our colonies and what they call the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening swept through the land and some of those effects are still going on today. I share this because history has been changed time and time again because somebody prayed in the will of God. Your life was changed because somebody prayed in the will of God. And every one of us could have testimonies about this. What can happen if we come to the Lord and get on our knees in believing prayer? Well, who was Jabez? We, to unpack this, uh, how many remember the book written? I think it was around, around year 2000, Multnomah Press released it, The Prayer of Jabez. And, and man, it just went, I can't say viral because there's very little computer in those days, but it was on the bestseller list and millions and millions of copies were sold. And People were taking stuff so out of context, and some people loved Bruce Wilkinson's book, and others were like, what a heretic, and then other preachers were like, what in the world? I've been preaching about this guy my whole life, and now you become the Jabez guy, and all these things going on. But I want to look at it for a little bit. I, I want us to, to do some hermeneutics to, to, to try to understand, to put ourselves in the setting of who this guy was, when he lived what this prayer would mean, a few of the Hebrew words. And so his name is Jabez. And in the mid middle of this biblical genealogy, and those are, you know, when you're trying to do the, read through the Bible, those can always be the hardest things. And Ebad begot, and you can't even say the words, and you're trying to get through that. In the middle of one of these genealogies of the, of the clans of Judah is these two verses with this very, in this obscure passage, this amazing story of Jabez. He's part of the tribe of Judah, and he's living at a time right as the Israelites are entering into the promised land, and they're possessing the land. That's so key and important to understand that. 
It's when they were going in and conquering and, and they were all going to be given an inheritance. The, all the tribes, the Levites didn't get land per se like the rest did. They were given cities and then you could have Levites live on your property where they could be like uh, a spiritual uh, person in your life. And there's stories of that. If you go to Israel, you go to the North Tel Dan, that's kind of a bad story of a Levite that went there. And you can see the base of the altar that they uncovered and found up in Tel Dan in the north of Israel, where this altar was built <laughs> to the wrong gods in the days of the kings doing crazy things. But so, so this is what could happen with these tribes. And this is the, the setting for Jabez's life. And some scholars believe there's an implication that he was an ancestor of the kings of Judah. We don't have biblical uh, understanding of that. Um, and some people say, well, with what his mother says about him, his name means pain, that he is cursed. But actually, that's not exactly what she does. The word for pain in Hebrew is atzab. And that's pain, and she is referring back when she says this, she talks about, because she had tremendous pain in her childbirth, she is referring back to the curse that was put on in Genesis 3.16 that was there when God said, because of what you've done, you will now have tremendous pain in, and it's a, it's a form of this word, atzab, it's, uh, it's a derivative of that, and it means pain, but she changes two letters in that, and she changes, and she says his name is Yabatz, the Yabatz being the root word, and she's making a play on word. It's like a pun. What she's saying is, yes, she's acknowledging, I had tremendous pain in childbirth because of the curse, but my hope is that one day this curse can be reversed, that it can be done away with, and how many know that Jesus is the one that reversed the curse? <laughs> That when he died on that cross and he resurrected from the grave, that because of that, we judicially are in right standing with God. I am forgiven. There's nothing more I can do to be pleasing in the sight of God. But yet we can grow, right, in and, and a sanctified life, and we can be conformed to the image of God if we're going to walk out his will in this life. And that's, that's a lot of what we do, right, in church life and with each other, growing in grace. And then there will be a day when he returns and all pain and sorrow and all the evil of this world will be done away with and he will wipe away every tear and he will make all things new. And so this gives us, I think understanding this gives us a little better idea of how to approach this prayer, to approach it. Also, there are some writings that we have to this day from the first century. Uh, it's called the Targumim and there are writings that when the Israelites were dispersed in into Persia and into Babylon. And, and at that time, then when they came back, the Greeks were in power. And the Greeks, even though they were Hellenistic and they tried to put all the cultures on them, uh, the Jewish people just couldn't quite all of them make the bridge to the Greek language. And so in that time, they picked up the Aramaic language because they, many of them had lost their Hebrew language. They picked up Persian over in Persia. But when they came back, they pick up this Aramaic, which is a Semitic language up in the north. If you have a map mind, think of present-day Lebanon in that area in Syria. And it's called a Syriac Aramaic language. And, and there's a lot of people that hold to the, the scriptures that we have that are from Aramaic writings. So you have these Hebrew people, and, and when the temple was destroyed, now they're dispersed even again. They can't even go to Jerusalem and worship at the temple. And so Everything is happening in synagogues, and the main language is you're speaking a different, you're not speaking Hebrew anymore, it's Aramaic. And so these leaders in these synagogues, they began to write the scriptures and translate them into Aramaic. And not only would they do that, they would give their own commentaries on all the history that had been passed down to them orally through the hundreds and hundreds of years. And so this is an ancient language, and it's amazing that even to this day, Aramaic is still spoken in many places when all kinds of the old languages are no longer being spoken like Aramaic. And so they, they write things, and what they write about Jabez is very fascinating. They say that at that time that he took some of the descendants of Moses' wife Zipporah, and he brought them onto his land, and he had 31 disciples of these Levites that he allowed onto his land, and they were there and they had names Tirathim because they wrote hymns and their voice was like trumpets and Shimathim because in hearing they lifted up their faces and in prayer Shukathim because they were overshadowed by the spirit of prophecy. 
And that gives us a little, we're starting to get a little understanding of this prayer of, God, expand my borders. Jabez was going in to receive his inheritance, but there was a problem. There was inhabitants in the land. We sang the, the song, you know, I might not face Goliath, but I've got my own giants. Well, he literally probably had some because the giants were down in that area of Judah and Benjamin. He was facing those guys and his prayer is, God, I've been given an inheritance. There's land that's supposed to be mine and there are so many that are not driving out those inhabitants. They're coexisting with the enemy, with something that they should not coexist with. But God, would you bless me? Would you help me to drive these inhabitants out and to possess the land? And so expanding borders is our theme for the day. Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. And so maybe those of you that remember that book and you remember some of the crazy things, I mean, there was sweatshirts, t-shirts, hats. There was, I remember bumper stickers, prayer of Jabez, and it was on everybody's wall and it was in bookmarks and people's Bibles and, and uh, it was just everywhere. You couldn't escape the, the words of that. And people had crazy ideas that, man, if I just pray this prayer, I'm shaking God down. To, um, he's my money tree. I'm shaking my money tree and I'm going to get what I want, you know? Um, Man, I was with, uh, we had a board meeting last night and we were having dinner together and Ross and I were listening to one of the other guys that owns a Tesla. Our jaws were just dropped by hearing about, I had no idea these Teslas, the guy works in Anchorage, he gets this Tesla and he, the thing takes him all the way there. He's on his phone the whole time watching TV or movies and I guess technically you're supposed to, every three or four minutes, you're supposed to like at least touch the wheel or look up or something, but you don't have to do that. It takes them all the way in. And if you get there early in the morning, it'll pull you right into your spot and turn the vehicle off. It'll bring you back. It opens your garage door. You can be in shopping and you can call for it. And it comes to, I'm like, what is going on, man? Man, Lord, I need a Tesla. Whew. That, that's not the prayer of Jabez, all right? I'm gonna, I, I'm working on a shtick for my wife though, you know, because I am blind in one eye and I'm, I'm getting old and decrepit and I don't do good driving at night. Maybe, man, I, that would just be sweet. I could get so much done when I drive around. <laughs> Expanding borders is our theme today. But he didn't, Bruce didn't write this book to show us how to shake God down, but there's, there's a real truth here. And it's not for personal riches and favor. Yes, that comes along to aid you in the will of God for the kingdom of God. The word blessed in the Hebrew means this, empowered to succeed. It's empowered to succeed. Oh, by the way, I don't think we, I didn't show the picture of Marcos Andonia. Can we pull that up? I want to show you. It's a real guy, all right? There he was four days later giving his report to me with some of the other apostles and evangelists and uh, so excited sharing about a couple new villages where he got to go in and many people got saved and uh, we're starting new churches and uh, where one need, uh, church construction needs to take place and so happy and he was crying and just saying, I'm so happy I get to keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Blessed means empowered to succeed. God did not create us, listen to me, to be dominated by the devil or any of his demons. <laughs> we were born again to dominate the kingdoms of darkness and the gates of hell. We were called to overcome and to possess the land. And the blessed life is a life where a family is growing in the grace of God. It's where a marriage is growing in grace and is beginning to flourish. It's, it's where you have the Holy Spirit. How many have the Holy Spirit today? If you have the Holy Spirit, you have a significant advantage on anybody else in the room that does not have the Holy Spirit he is the wonderful counselor, the spirit of Jesus. He gives us insight and wisdom and an advantage over everything else. The blessed life is to have natural children or spiritual children and to help nurture those children. It's to have grandchildren and to be able to hold those babies and, and pray over them and prophesy over them and speak into their lives and to sing the songs and to emote the characteristics of Jesus. It's teaching them the ways of God. I we were here for a few weeks over the holidays when I got back from Peru, and I got to head out here shortly. Um, Friday, I head out preaching Battleground Church on the Rock and then go to the jungle for a month. But I want to show you a picture. We got eight of our 10 grandkids together, the youngest eight. There they are. And uh, man, it's just, it's such a blessing, such a joy. You know, I, for some reason, I just thought when I, we became empty nesters, you know, like, man, whew, 
all that training and hard work and all that is done. And I want to tell you, I'm realizing now it's just beginning and I'm going to be having to preach the gospel and do missions work till I die because I want to be there for, you know, to give them Christmas presents and birthday gifts and be there at their weddings. And the blessed life is to have God answer your prayers. The prayer of Jabez isn't some special formula. You know, we watch too many shows with wizardry and witches. It's not some rote prayer we repeat over and over again because of it has magic in the words. The magic is in the understanding and the heart behind what Jabez was praying into. He was praying from the will of God. And so today, we're just going to look at the first part of this prayer, all right? I'll, I'll leave the last part for you there about pain and suffering and all that. You know, he cried out, which is also translated as he called out. And some people get tripped up over this. Man, how could this be a prayer of blessing and prosperity if he's like crying out in agony? You got to realize that in these days, Jabez, he had come out of the desert. He was one of those desert babies that uh, was born in the desert, and yet he was able to enter in then as an adult. And he'd seen the miracles. He'd eaten the manna. He had the fire by night to illuminate and the cloud by day to keep them covered from the sun. His shoes never wore out. They had, they had provision. <laughs> and then when they entered in, it was time to possess the land. And, and so God in those times, he, he, even though they saw this, they were very in awe and, and they were almost in fear of God. And they did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them in that personal relationship. So yeah, he might have screamed and cried and shouted and bowed down, but he was praying from an understanding of the will of God that God had said, go in and be courageous and possess the land. And that's what his prayer is about. God, I want to see my territory, the borders expand to all the inheritance that is mine and to take it because there's a purpose for this. Thankfully, I'm so thankful we have the Holy Spirit. God is now personal within us. The problems were that the land was inhabited and he had to possess the land. Oh, that God would help us. And so what we want to do today is encourage you to be informed in how to pray into the will of God. God has promised many of us things as we've grown in Christ, and some of us are not walking out those promises God answered Jabez's prayer. This tells me that he was praying in the will of God because God will not answer a prayer if it's not according to his will. James 4, the last part of verse 2 and 3 shows us, James says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Some of you just aren't even asking. You know what to ask for and you're not doing that. That's why it's great to have these 21 days of prayer and fasting to start the year off because it can realign some of us that have started to drift. And then verse three, and even when you ask, you don't get it. Why? Because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. I always remember the story of the little boy. He wanted a bicycle and thought he should pray for one, but he didn't really know how to pray. So he turned on the television to watch the famous people and how they prayed. And so he went to bed that night and he prayed like this. He said, Almighty and eternal God, the Father of all creation, the sovereign Lord, if it is your will that I have a bicycle, may it be here in the morning when I wake up. He woke up in the morning, no bicycle. Next day, he watches another Christian televangelist and goes to bed that night. His mother's watching this every night as he goes to bed and he prays again and he says, Jesus, I declare my need for a bicycle. I name it, I claim it to be a shiny blue and silver bicycle and that it will be here promptly by 7.30 in the morning when I wake up. Wakes up, no bicycle. Later that day, his mother sees him walking out to the woods with a household statue of Mary when he comes back, he's not bringing the statue with him, and he kneels down by his bedside, and he says, God, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> the prayer of Jabez isn't trying to shake Jesus down. That's not what it is. And there is a true prosperity, and we need to understand that to pray into a blessed life and the favor of God and, and the provision of God and that our borders would be expanded with all the inheritance he wants for us so that we can be like Jabez. 
who evidently from the historical uh, oral teachings passed down through the generations took care of 31 Levites. It was a big deal as an individual person to take in just one Levite like happened up until then. You had to be wealthy to do that. God had obviously prospered him and blessed him through his prayer and that's why he is mentioned. And so the first thing I want to say, just three principles on this idea, and I'm only supposed to be talking about expanding our borders, so don't tell Jonathan I dabbled in other places, all right? I think he is too. I, I talked to him at 11 o'clock last night, and I'm like, hey, hold it. You're not supposed to be teaching on that. He's like, oh, I'm just touching it. I'm just mentioning it. Expanding borders for God's kingdom is the first thing I see, the first principle in this idea of expanding our territory and the enlargement. We have to know it is the will of God to pray for our borders and territory to expand, to receive our inheritance in Christ. This is why Jesus said in what we know as the Lord's Prayer, really the disciples' prayer, where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is an expansion of the kingdom of God through our lives. It's allowing Jesus to be in the driver's seat in your life and drive through you the way a Tesla could drive through me, all right? Our mission is what is known as the Great Commission, and in Matthew's Gospel, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, this is what he tells his disciples. Some of the last things he tells them, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always until the end of the age. You got to understand this. We should have every expectation to succeed. There should be no sense that we are commissioned to fail. We shouldn't be asking, is God doing anything in the world today? He has blessed us with the Holy Spirit. Remember, blessed means to be empowered to succeed. And the key in how this success will happen is that what Jesus, when he says, all authority has been given to me, what he's saying is, first, there has been a, a shift, a, an enormous, a substantive shift of governmental authority in the heavenlies to be displayed here in the earth, a seismic governmental shift in the earth through my death and resurrection. I am Lord of all heaven and earth, and it's, a, it's essential that the disciples understand this, and I can see the imagery of John on the Isle of Patmos as he sees Jesus, and he's there, and he says, I hold the keys of hell and death. That was a, that's imagery of showing that he has all authority, and now he's transferring that authority. He's saying, I'm giving you this authority. In other words, you and I are byproducts of his death and resurrection. And then you're going to be successful. You'll make disciples. You'll baptize. You'll teach them the things. You need to understand that you and I live out an unstoppable commission through Jesus Christ. We have the authority. We have the power. And yes, we live in brokenness. And there's so much that we don't understand we do, and we don't know. And I don't know why in that service when we had faith for healings and miracles that there were six immediately that were healed. And I heard reports of a few days later, others that got healed. And yet there was a few that I know we didn't see the healing for. And I don't understand that. And I had to resolve this years ago when I was in India. And I asked one of the greatest men of God I've ever met as I heard some of the most amazing, miraculous stories. And I said, Dr. K.R. Singh, how do you resolve this and, and continue to contend for uh, the kingdom of God to expand and the miracles and healings? He goes, why do you do this? He said, David, I learned a long time ago, God isn't going to bow down to me. I must bow down to him every day in every situation. It's why when my father and mother first went to Peru and they had a burden to try, they started evangelizing on the Tepeche River, one of... Uh, it's a tributary of a tributary of the Amazon, and they were on that river, the first ones to evangelize, and they had a lot of success with children and teenagers. Few women, very occasionally one adult man in the early times. That happens a lot in evangelism. And, um, and so they would, they would bring kids from different villages to one village, and uh, when they, one day they went to take the kids back, and a rumor had started that these white people, imagine, you know, you're in a village and you're the first white person anybody sees. I've gone into villages and literally had little two-year-olds and three-year-olds scream their heads off like they, they think you're the devil. They're like, this is Satan showing up in our village. and they, They've never seen a white person. They're screaming. 
And so this rumor started that the missionaries were going to steal these kids and take them from them and steal them and wanted to do terrible things. And so three men meet them as my dad's dropping these kids off in the boat with machetes. And they said, you will never come here again. If you ever come back, we'll kill you. And right then my dad's like, well, you know, you're commissioned to go. What do you do? You have to have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And he said, well, he said, God has sent me with his book and his words. And he had a New Testament in Spanish. And he said, uh, who here is the most machismo man in the village? And this one guy, Adino Valentin, said, that would be me. And my dad said, well, then I am giving you this book that God gave me to bring to this village. And you will be the one responsible to the true God for the book that he has brought for you with his words of life. Adino took that book. He started reading. didn't take long until he surrendered his life to Jesus, came to the Bible Academy, got trained, and became one of our greatest evangelists for the next few decades as he lived his life on this planet. I want to tell you, we have an unstoppable commission. God has called us and appointed us to be effective. So always remember, when you think of the Great Commission, know that there was a shift that took place when Jesus resurrected from the grave, and there's a governmental shift, and he's giving you the same authority and power to do his will. Success, expansion, growth, and real prosperity, I want to tell you, it is the mood of heaven. Jesus is in a good mood, and he wants that to go throughout the earth. It's inherent, it's so inherent, it's so important that the disciples understand that it is their mission, their mission is birthed to succeed. So I believe Jabez was informed in how to pray and also with the right motivations. I prayed for many things in my life that I did not get and I know it's because I was praying with the wrong motivations, but how many have ever sensed that burden, that, that fire of the Holy Spirit, and, and you pray into that, you brood over that, you, uh, you know that this is the will of God, and you might not see that individual come to the Lord for years. I remember uh, praying for my, I was in a home group meeting on Hatcher Pass, and, and we were picking people to pray for, and I remember picking uh, my basketball coach in middle school and in elementary school over here, Mick Pettit, he lived over on Lazy Mountain, had a farm, and he was a teacher, and uh, he was kind of a rough character, and, um, and we, uh, I just wanted to pray for him. I got, God, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I want Mick Pettit to be saved and prayed for years, and I always remember I was in upstate New York at Bible school, and I talked to my dad, and my dad said, David, you're not going to believe this, but Mick Pettit came to church this week, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ, and he joined a team with Ross that year. It was like the year, I forget, 1985, I think, or 85, maybe 84, 85. And he joined the team, and, and I, it was this winter break during Christmas, and so I was able to meet them in Miami. I remember coming off my plane, and my plane was delayed, but theirs was delayed as well, the last leg. And there's Mick Pettit with my dad, and I saw him, and man, all I could do was just hug him. We both cried because it was such an awesome thing. Then I proceeded to take his camera in Peru and this rooster that... You get to pro, you find out roosters crow all night long. They don't just crow at the first of light. And there was this rooster that he couldn't sleep to, and we're working hard in the heat all day. And that was old school cameras where you had a roll of film in there. And so I took four of his rolls of film, and I, took, and I filled them all up with shots of that rooster, and he got back. And uh, anyway, you know, that's what you do when you're young, I guess. I remember, remember one of the pastors of this church, Arlie Enlow, uh, us talking when he pastored here, and we would drive and do things together, fish and hunt. And we were driving through Meadow Lakes. He goes, David, man, there's got to be a life-giving church in Meadow Lakes. He goes, there's four churches and two of them, they don't even meet all the time. And there's, there's like almost no people going to a faith community in Meadow Lakes area. And, and there's, being at that time, it was well over 10,000 population. And I'm like, man, that is just wild. Started praying into that. And then the Lord called me to plant Church on the Rock and Loray and some others that joined and and the, where the Church on the Rock Wasilla is, is actually in Meadow Lakes. It's just out of the city limits. And I would see that land and go, man, I could just envision this. Somehow the Lord put that in me, the church up there on the hillside there. And so there's things that God gives us that are his will. It's, you know, it's not for our, it's not for us to look good or for us to be famous. It's simply us surrendering to Jesus and letting Jesus be awesome and to live his life through us. And I could share story after story of that. I, I want to show some of the things from Peru that have been happening. This is 
I've shared with you before about how the work got started in Yuri Maglis, an amazing event that took place, but we'd first sent a couple there to um, do evangelism and discipling, and then we did a big outreach night, and it was amazing because 100 people got saved and landed in the church, didn't just disperse. And then we sent an evangelist there to do church planning. It with the tri- There's a lot of tribal groups in that area, especially Shawi tribe right in that local area. And so this is our newest Bible Academy, and there's 25 students at it right now. And we've had to tweak it and make it so that it works for indigenous tribal people where some of them are audio learners and um, do it in shorter stints throughout the year because it's hard for them to leave for three months to come and get training. But by the end of it, they're going to have a full two-year degree in schooling, and they will become their own leaders to their own tribal people. So that's happening. It's such a a beautiful thing. And and you guys have prayed for that. You've been a part of this kingdom expanding. You've given finance to see this take place. One of the things that, and that area was the thing that the Peruvian leaders and myself, we were burdened for for a few years. I kept going, we've got to work in this region. Why aren't we working in this region? I go through your Maguas. There's so much to do here. And and at the right timing, the Lord opened the doors and and the provision, and now it's happening. Another one that I've been praying for for years is in the Valley of the Avery in Brazil. It's, so that arrow, that blue arrow, go all the way to the border of Brazil where it meets with Peru. The Avery River separates Brazil and Peru, and it comes up and it meets the Amazon, and that's right where Colombia, Peru, and Brazil all meet. It's called Tres Fronteras, the three frontiers. And in that Valley of the Avery is, they think, they know absolutely 16 uncontacted tribes. They believe 18 to 21, something like that that have removed themselves from society. And so the Brazilian government has wanted to protect these uncontacted tribes. They do that in India. They do that in Ecuador now with the two tribes there. And some in Colombia, Peru has 15 that if you try to go evangelize them, uh, you'll go to prison for the rest of your life. Um, so they don't allow it. And so we're praying into that though. Hey, that's, it might look like I was trying, that the government's trying to stop us, but we have had a governmental shift right on the earth. And so been praying into this area for years. For 45 years, no missionaries have been allowed in that area. And I've been on the Avery River and I've seen the two rivers that flow out of this where all these tribal people are, are from, the Ituwaku and the Kudasai River. And I'm like, oh God, we have to be able to go up there someday. And so our early strategy was we built an Atlai de Norte where many of not uncontacted, but the unreached tribal people live on the rivers and they do come out and have contact. They do their trade in the city of Atalaya de Norte. And so we have a church there now on the Peruvian side of the river. We've got a place where this wonderful bungalow where the, the tribal people can come, they sleep in it, they stay there. We've made a relationship. Some of these chiefs have gotten saved, so the people have gotten saved and we're starting to disciple them. But When I was in Peru this last time in December, our evangelist for this area that works in this this area of Brazil and is over the work there, he shared me, he said, David, he said, I just came back and it's open. We can go up the Ituaku and the Kudasai rivers now. The new president lady who's more of a socialist than any president they've had for some reason of all things, she disbands all this governmental military authority over there. And so now we have the open door to go into this area and to reach all these unreached people, and my vision has always been when those uncontacted tribes eventually want to come out, they're going to be contacted by Holy Ghost, gospel-centered people that love Jesus and want to share his, his life with them. This is like amazing things. I mean, we're living in some of the, probably the last generation, I believe, because it's gospel is going to go to every tribe, every tongue. And so I want to show some of the pictures of this. I forgot about this. This is the Korobo tribe, one of the tribal groups, needs to be reached. Um, this here is Matisse tribe. I've got a spear from them, and that's the Canna Marie tribe, and I've got a spear from this tribe. And uh, let's go to the last one. So here's some of the spears that were given to me. And Guido's holding the Canna Marie spear that I have. And the chief that gave that said, my father, <laughs> decades ago, used this spear to kill other people. But today I'm laying down the spear and I'm taking up the gospel of Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that? And so we're called to be a part of this expansion of the borders of the kingdom of God. And then another or second area is enlarging the capacity of my heart. Man, I'm not the same person today that I was 30 years ago. 
30 years ago or even 35 years ago when I remember being back here for a year after my Bible school years and just trying to play inner, what's it called when you have men and women on the same softball team? It's intramural? Co-ed, co-ed, that's the word. Co-ed softball. Oh, that tortured me. I'm like, ah, oh, I can't handle this. And, and people that didn't care to win, I was so competitive. It just, ah. Oh. But, you know, that's the beautiful thing of the Holy Spirit. He, he can change us from the inside out. And, and competition is a good thing. But when you're sitting there and you can't even be nice to somebody or be kind because you have to win, that's not a good thing. And so I'm glad that the Holy Spirit can change our character and grow us and we can, we can be conformed to the image of Jesus and, and we can have this overflow of his life to others. And so this year I'm doing this thing called CLI, Cultivate Leadership Institute. The whole first year is a focus on character development. And so the, this month I'm, I'll show you the copy of this book. I think I got it. Um, and it's called Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald. And uh, so this is the first book we're going through and going through that. And, um, and it's all about cultivating your inner life, your inner mind, how you do self-talk and, and uh, that what happens on the outward is just a reflection and overflow from what is happening internally and to order those things and to be very intentional about it. And I'm loving the things that I'm learning in this book. And the more I grow in the Lord, I realize that, man, identity Knowing my identity in Jesus Christ is so significant in order for me to inherit what he wants me to in this lifetime. Remember the story of Danny Simpson? It was 1990, and he had gone into a bank in Ottawa, Canada, and held it up with the family gun and robbed $6,000. And a little while later, the law enforcement there caught up with him because they had seen him on video camera for the previous week every day casing the joint. And so they knew who they were looking for. And they find him with the $6,000 and they find him with the gun and, and they take him in and they discover that the gun that he was using, it was an antique gun made in 1918 by the Ross Rifle Company and it was a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic, one of the first pistol semi-automatics worth over $100,000. Now imagine that he goes to a bank not realizing what the value of what he's possessing, a pistol worth over $100,000 to hold up a bank for $6,000 and spends the next six years of his life in prison because of what he did. And tragically, there are too many Danny Simpsons in the church today going and looking and holding up and trying to find things of value when they don't even realize what they have. And that's, that's not even a really good comparison. What we have is an endless treasure in Jesus Christ. And so we have to allow Jesus to expand the capacity of our hearts, and I want to have that happen. I, I want to grow in that because I want to invest in these grandchildren in a way that, even in a greater way than I was ever able to with my own children, and to show them the ways of Jesus, the character of Jesus. And then third thing I see is expanded borders we must have in new relationships. With new relationships, and that can be a new relationship with an actual new person, and I'm excited about that, being back to Alaska and making new friends and developing relationships. Or it can be even a, a, a new relationship with somebody you've known in your marriage. Uh, areas that were dead can come to life. Somebody that you've just been casual with, but you sense God is bringing you together and you become you know, deep, connected friends and sisters in the Lord, brothers in the Lord, or, or maybe somebody young that you're called to mentor and to disciple them and we have to allow these expanded borders with new relationships. In the primary context, though, when I use biblical hermeneutics, I, I realize that Jabez, he really bought into this idea of inheritance for not just him, but for the generations to come. And that's why he wanted that blessing. That's why he wanted to go in, and he didn't want trouble ongoing. And I'll leave that for, for you, Josh. I won't mess there. But, but he wanted something for the family. And I was at Dale Sandstrom's memorial service yesterday, and near the end of it, man, wasn't that beautiful, Lois, how the, they sang the song, The Blessing, and, and then the whole family slowly makes their way up, the different generations, and there was just dozens and dozens of family members up there looking out at the crowd as they sang that song, you know, in every generation, and the blessing for them, and they talked about legacy, and Dale was the first one in his household that... He moved to Alaska in the early 50s, and he was a 
tough, rough, bad bridge builder. He built, he was involved with over a hundred and like 118 or 17 bridges built around Alaska. There's, you haven't driven around Alaska that you, you haven't gone somewhere that the reason you were able to cross over the waters because Dale was involved with either on that bridge or in charge of building the bridge. And, um, but in the early 50s in Cordova, Alaska, he was in a house meeting with Wayne Kwasnikoff and the Spirit of God touched his life. He got saved, radically transformed and changed and now leaves a legacy for generations. And that's what Jabez, I believe the primary thing is he was thinking of the future and the generations to come. And I think we have to be intentional about that with our lives. What are we leaving? What legacy are we leaving God, would you expand my borders that I could leave a legacy, that there could be provision for them? And yeah, earthly provision is great, but even beyond that, a, a spiritual inheritance. So I want to wrap this up. We can have the worship team come back up. And this is what I've been driving at. This has been my thesis statement. If I was writing a thesis or my big idea for the day is that we have to know it is the will of God for our borders to expand. It's his will. And when we align ourselves with his will, we will see this take place. And sometimes it's not going to be in the way that maybe we initially want. It's not going to be the shiny blue and silver bicycle. It might not be the Tesla. Oh, that would be sweet though, but it might not be that. But it's going to be the blessing of God. You're empowered to succeed, to expand the kingdom of God, to expand the capacity of our hearts, and then to expand in those new relationships that he wants us to have. I want you to stand with me and I want to pray for you, Church on the Rock, Willow. God, would you give us faith and courage the way Jabez prayed to enter into the land to drive out those giants possess his inheritance. God, would you expand the borders of my heart today? God, that I could be less selfish and more selfless and more in tune with your generosity for others, with my resource and my time. God, would you expand my borders so that I could do your will in the kingdom of God. God, expand my borders for new relationships. So cool to meet Ron over here, door greeter, coffee maker. Thought I'd met him before, but found out it was his twin brother. Identical twin brothers. He's like, man, I'm the coffee guy. I was like, all right, I think I'm going to like getting to know this guy, future coming up here for some ice fishing trips. I tell all our Peruvian leaders, cafe es la bebida de Dios. Coffee is the drink of God. <laughs> I say, you better start liking it now because we'll be drinking it in heaven. God, would you do these things for us today? We, we cry out, we call out in the same understanding, in the same heart that Jabez did. Bless us. Expand our borders. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.